I don't know if any of you can relate to any of those uh, words in the lyrics this morning. Anybody? And we have a God who, who not only has anchored us, but has continued to remind us of the victory that's ours because he's risen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this morning. I love these people. I love what you're doing here. I love the reminders you give us in your word. I love the fact that we can come and celebrate such, such goodness, not, not high morals and right thinking and good things. We can celebrate the goodness that we see in Jesus Christ. We can celebrate that he came and died for us, that we have peace with you because of what he already accomplished. So Father, I pray today we would find the anchor of our joy in that relationship and no place else. It's in Jesus' good name I pray, amen. Amen, good, have a, have a seat. Or you can stand while I preach, that's fine too. Uh, it's an exciting morning this morning. This is, um, if you, <laughs> go ahead Patrick, I dare you. You have become my target now, brother. <laughs> um, it's, the, the morning, uh, the Sunday after Easter has kind of become a, um, I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, it, it kind of gets a bad rap because Easter, you pour so much energy and enthusiasm and just you work so hard and then you get to the Sunday after Easter and sometimes it's like this, oh, here we are. Um, I love what Andy said. Last week, we took time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but every Sunday, that's what we celebrate together. Just on Easter, we do it dressed up a little nicer and with our best manners, most of us, sort of. And, and as we were thinking about the Sunday following Easter, it seemed like it made the most sense for us to take the, the, the time during our service, the uh, conclusion of the message, to, to follow uh, one of God's commands for us and, and celebrate when a brother or sister decides to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. And so we have a few brothers and sisters, young and not so young, who are going to be following the, the command of Jesus, and they're going to follow Jesus in baptism. And I'm, I'm ecstatic about that. I'm excited about that. Um, if, you, if you have your Bibles, if you haven't already, it's already up there. Luke 10. Go to Luke chapter 10. Um, it's been, and let me, uh, wait, how do, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> been a crazy couple of weeks here at Uniontown. Um, I won't get into details. But there's been a few uh, folks on staff uh, who have been running 150 miles an hour for the last three weeks um, and are still running, but we're down to 130 miles an hour, not because there's less to do, but because we're tired. Um, this week coming up is going to be an exciting week for us, um, and, and, and this starting with today. And as I wrestled with what to do this morning, I was going to begin our new series, which is going to be in the book of Colossians but decided, you know what, instead, let's, let's celebrate what we have to celebrate today together. So that's by way of announcement next week. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to work through the book of Colossians, and what we're going to evaluate and look at in the book of Colossians, there's so much there, but as you read through the book of Colossians, what you're impressed with is there is a study, a focus, uh, an intentional gaze at the roots of what has happened in our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. And when you examine the root and it's strong and it's healthy and it's vital, what happens then is the plant that grows from those roots just becomes healthy, vibrant, and fruitful. And so that, that's our, our view on the, the book of Colossians. We're going to start that next week. In your bulletin, the, the passage is there so you can read ahead as always. Um, if you have questions during the week, you can email me. Uh, I'll ignore you, so, but you can still email me if you want. I just want to see if anybody was still paying attention because I'm just dribbling on. All right, email me. I'll be happy to answer any questions leading up to that. And actually, that will help as I prepare to preach that passage, uh, answer some of the questions you actually have. Luke chapter 20, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 10, not Luke chapter 20. 
Luke chapter 10 is a, a fascinating chapter, and we're actually going to look at a lot of it. Now, um, I, if I was going to preach what I believe I need to preach out of Luke chapter 10 this morning, what you would find is that we would be in and out in 10 minutes. And some of you are like, hallelujah, Jesus is still alive, he's still working miracles. Um, but I can't do that. Uh, instead, <laughs> I want to do something that's just going to be a little different. I'm going to walk through Luke 10, and I'm going to do it in two different parts. And the first one's going to be, the, the outline is going to be just astonishing. Part one, teaching. Part two, preaching. So if you're an outline taker, there's your points. You can fill in the rest. I plan on doing that. I do want to walk through the, the kind of Luke chapter 10 and, and kind of walk through some of the teaching points, the teaching points, just so that you can get an understanding of the context of what's happening. And then you'll know when I, even without the slide, when I make the transition to preaching, because it's going to get preachy really fast. So Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read and then make some comments as I kind of walk through it to, to help us understand the context so that you understand what is happening. Now, now Jesus has taken, now, let me look at verse 1. After this, Jesus, the Lord, he appointed 72 others, 72 disciples, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So just a couple of words there. If you have a different Bible translation, you may have a different number there. It may be 70. It might be 72. Reality is that the, the manuscripts of the original Greek differ with the number there. Hey, guess what? It actually doesn't change any foundational truth if it's 72 or 70. So we're okay. It's a bunch of people and they go out in pairs and they've been called by Jesus to herald, to preach, to teach the good news before he arrives in those cities. So, so picture for a moment, Jesus gathers a group of 70 or 72 people, he pairs them off and he says, now go to all the cities that I'm going to go to, and what I want you to do is I, I just want you to, to teach and preach and to, to bring the light into darkness and, and start to talk about the kingdom of God being present. I want you to, to start pushing back and, and undoing the curse to a certain degree by, by bringing redemption as you announce the presence of the kingdom of God, and, and he, he wants them to do it before he arrives in those cities. I want you to kind of lay the groundwork of the gospel before I, Jesus myself, shows up in, the, in those cities. Verse 2, very popular verse. He told them this, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So, so something we can glean from this, something we should take from this as Uniontown Bible Church, because one of our values is that we, we are going to be dedicated to prayer. We're going to be a praying people, not just a people who pray. And in this moment, really, really what he's saying is, you know, pray that workers will enter into the, the harvest. Now, these are going to go, they're, they're called to go, but you, what I want you to do is pray for more laborers. Pray that more people would be called to go. Pray for those people who are going. Pray for the Arizona missions team. Pray for our global partners. Continue to pray for those who are in the field trying to bring about the harvest. Here is something that, that if you are a praying person, that you will realize and recognize right away. When you pray for something... Oftentimes, God's answer to your prayer is you. So Lord, would you help my children do better in school? Amen. Oftentimes, God's answer to you is you. You sit down with them. You go over their homework with them. You help them with math. Or you use Google to help them with math. That's my life right now. But, but, but oftentimes, the answer to your prayer is you. Lord, I pray. My wife is really going through it right now. Lord, I pray you would encourage the heart of my wife. Dude, 
God gave you two arms to walk into the other room where your wife is to encourage her with a hug. You are the answer to your prayer. Oops, wait, I should change the slide just in case you're keeping track. I think I'm preaching. Sorry, my bad. I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm getting ahead of myself. Hey, sorry, it just oozes out of me. So oftentimes when we pray these prayers, we are, we are those answers. So when we're praying for more workers to go into the harvest, Maybe you're the answer to that prayer. Maybe, maybe you are the one who is supposed to be working in the harvest while you stay. You remember that? That's our focus point. And we want to be intentionally sharing the gospel of Jesus while we serve and build relationships here in this community. So while you stay in this community and build those relationships, whether it be at home or in your school, at work, the businesses that you frequent, your neighbors, whatever it is in your community, maybe you're the one that you're praying for that you would be faithful in seeking to reap the harvest for Jesus. Verse three tells them this, now go, you 70, 72, I want you to go, and I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Listen, you're gonna go, and it's dangerous. There's wolves, and you don't have to be a shepherd to know that between, in a battle between lions or, or, or lambs and wolves that usually the wolf wins. The lamb isn't exactly known for its ninja abilities. So the wolf usually devours that, that lamb. And so when, when Jesus says this, he's saying, no, it's dangerous. It's real. I'll read kind of a chunk here, starting in verse 4. He says this, now, don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say this, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, he's going to return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter into town, they welcome you. Eat the things that are set before you. Moms, you can use that verse if you want. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And when you enter any town... And they don't welcome you. Go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. So, so as you, you walk through this picture, the instructions that Jesus is leaving for these disciples as they go, he's saying, there's, there's things that I want you to accomplish. Don't, don't lose sight of the fact in verse 9, he talks about a ministry of mercy you, you, you heal those people while you're there. Go do that. Serve the, the physical needs of the people who you are around as you go. Certainly do that. But, but, but you have to understand that, that the ministry of mercy, that, that's not where your ministry ends. That's not what you're to be all about. That's not supposed to be your primary perspective. You must speak the gospel message. I think oftentimes, all of us, this, this is going to be right between teaching and preaching, but I think for many of us, we, when we, um, well, the, the phrase is, is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, who, who says, um, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. It's a beautiful saying. There's a couple problems with it. First is, we don't even know if Francis of Assisi even said it. And if you studied the life of St. Francis of Assisi, he certainly didn't live it. And the third problem is, the gospel needs words. 
Ministry of mercy is, is exactly right to do. It's appropriate. It's, it's what we're supposed to be um, busying ourselves with. But, but the ministries of mercy are supposed to decorate the gospel. They're not supposed to replace the gospel. And, and so as we go out and we serve people in our communities, by all means, we should be watching for ways we can care for their physical needs. But if it terminates there, if it ends there, then what's going to end up happening is we are going to offer people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, within our sphere of influence, we're going to offer them an incomplete redemption. We're going to fix all the outside problems and never offer them the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We need to be um, specific. We need to be declaring the the truth about the, the perfect life of Jesus Christ the physical, substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, and then the glorious hope of his resurrection. Because because the gospel is built on those things. The gospel isn't built on handing somebody food when they haven't eaten for a little while. That should adorn the gospel. We, We should never be people who ignore those who haven't been able to take care of themselves. We should be serving those people, but it should be motivated out of the the foundation of the gospel, which is this Jesus' life for mine. That that's the declaration of the gospel, what God did for us, not what we can do for other people. Something as you read through that in verse verse 10, you noticed that um, as they declared the coming of the kingdom of God, it it, it wasn't always received well. I think oftentimes we are so focused on being successful that we have messed up the gospel message. We're so focused on metrics that we have forgotten that in God's eyes, success is faithfulness. Think, think, think through this, and, and if you haven't read his story, man, I, I would encourage you to pick up your Old Testament this week and start reading through the book of Jeremiah. If, if success is what is meant to measure our ministries, if metrics and decisions made for God and people who repent of their sins and the numbers of people who show up to listen and do those things, if those are the metrics that our ministries are to be measured by, Jeremiah was a complete failure. There's not a single person repented when they heard his preaching. So, so we have to be careful to, to not define success as wonderful results. We need to define success as faithful. It's, it's required in a steward that he be found faithful. And as you present the gospel, it's God is the one who does the saving, not you. So that, that, and that's a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, it's hard in parenting. I want to be able to stand before my children and say, this is right, this is wrong, this is obedience, this is disobedience. You do this because this is obedience. And I would love to see them immediately be like, absolutely, Dad, because you said it, I'm going to do it. Now, let me be honest. I can talk to myself and be like, Frank, this is right, this is wrong, this is obedience, this is disobedience, so do this. I can't even listen to myself and have it change my heart. I can't change anybody else's heart. I can sure spit up a storm when I scream at you, though. You think I'm joking, I'm not. That's what that's there for, actually. <laughs> um, God's the one that changes hearts. The Holy Spirit takes a hold of someone's heart and draws them into God's presence. To, 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 and as the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of who Jesus is and the goodness of what Jesus has done for us. I don't, I, I don't know if that's really true, Frank. I mean, uh, I mean I, God's never drawn me, Really? Why do you think you're here? Surprise! 
The effectual working of the Spirit is in your soul right now as he continues to try to draw you to himself. Um, actually, that leads me to verse 12. I tell you that on that day, he's talking about the day that the kingdom of God comes in its full fruition, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town that's rejected me. See, this task that Jesus has laid before his disciples to go out is an urgent task because judgment is real and it's severe. He, he refers to Sodom being um, in a better place than those who are going to have the full wrath of God poured out them in eternity. And, and, and I, I know you know this, but Genesis chapter 19, the story of Sodom, um, nobody got out alive. As fire fell from heaven and consumed all living beings in Sodom because of the judgment of God. And what Jesus is saying, compared, compared to eternal damnation, Sodom was nothing. So what, why are we supposed to be doing this? Because it's an urgent task. In verse 13, Jesus then walks through and he, he talks about the consequences of, of accepting or rejecting him. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So, so historical cities that had been destroyed by the judgment of God because they had rejected him. He's saying, listen, if, if Tyre and Sidon would have seen the same things that you are seeing, they would have fallen on their faces. They would have torn their clothing. They would have covered themselves in ashes in repentance. Verse 14, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And to you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? No. You'll go down to Hades. And he says to his disciples, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me and rejects the one who has sent me. So, so the, the consequences of accepting or rejecting this are eternal. And, and, and uh, so let me, let me shoot very straight. I did it again. <laughs> I tell you what. Some, for those of you in the back, I keep forgetting to take the cap off my water. I don't know. Been a long couple of weeks. Didn't I say that? Water here, cap in the pocket should be good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was about to get real serious, too. Fine. Here we go. I'll get serious still. I wish hell didn't exist. Being honest, I'd love to stand up here and say that hell does not exist. But it does. And that should tear your heart up. Because the consequences of ex rejecting Jesus, it's eternal punishment. And every person you come face to face with is going to stand before God and someday face that eternity, either in Jesus or on their own. Do you get that weight? you feel that? So, what about you? 
I mean, the message of Jesus is very clear. It's the message of the entire Bible. It's the message that, that, that God threw out there throughout all of eternity from, from the beginning to the end, and it's this. You must agree with God about the state of your soul, that you're a sinner. Like every single one of us, because all of us have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and from the moment we came out of our mama's womb, we, we are born in our sin and iniquity. So we need to agree with God about our sin, and we need to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He's the, the son of God who came to save sinners. So the question remains is, is are you going to depend on your attempt at perfection to satisfy God's righteousness? Or are you going to lean on Jesus' absolute perfection? Jesus died for your sins so that you could know God and come into his presence without fear of his wrath. What are you going to do with Jesus? You have to answer that question. It's not just a convenient little speech that I'm giving and you can walk out of here nothing having changed. I mean, the name of Jesus is being spoken here, the name of the one who came to die for you. And, and right now, where you sit, you are making a decision. So what are you going to do with Jesus? I mean, the consequences of rejection are eternal. What are you going to do? Um, I might as well just push the button because, you know, we just keep going there. I, I um, as you read the story, as you hear this, and there's a wait, right? And, and I love what happens next in this story. Because we don't know how much time has passed, but some time has gone by. And in verse 17, it says this. The 72 returned with joy. And they said this. Now, now, now imagine. Remember what they're saying. Imagine the feeling. Imagine the, the, the voices. <laughs> Lord! Even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons, when we speak your name, they got nothing. Lord, this is so cool. Right? They, they come running back to Jesus after he has sent them out on this mission. He has sent them out on this very weighty mission. And they come returning to Jesus and they're like, does this get any better? I mean, you're not going to believe this. We're, we're, and, and you can see him coming back like, how did yours go? Mine went, oh yeah. And they're all high-fiving each other like, yeah, this is amazing. This is the most incredible thing ever. I mean, you're not going to believe this, but I showed up and, and I spoke the name of Jesus and, and there were screaming demons going running out of this dude. And you know, you know, if Peter was part of the 72, and we don't know if the disciples were part of those, that number, but if Peter was, you know, Peter's back there like, yeah, man, I was like, roar, and they all ran. This is amazing. Look what we're able to do. Look what we're able to accomplish. We're doing things that matter. This is awesome. Right? Man, but before I go on, please, 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 please. Celebrating being used by God is not a bad thing. Man, we should dance that we are able to be used by the Most High God. Because you know what you and I bring to the table? Roadblocks. And somehow he works in spite of us. 
There's a song years ago, Casting Crowns out. It's, it's um, how refreshing to know that you don't need me. How amazing to find that you want me. I mean, that, that, that lyric has stuck with me because it's, it really is the truth. But man, let's celebrate the fact that we're being used. But in this next interaction with Jesus, he puts it all into perspective. Right? I mean, they come back from their, their job. They come back from their mission and they're like high fiving each other and they're like, hey, woohoo, we did this, we did this. And you can almost picture Jesus just kind of sitting there reclining with a big grin on his face. Like, yeah, these guys. He lets them have their fun. And then he speaks in verse 18. And he says to them, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, before I move on, what does that mean? Um, okay, so um, there, there's actually three real uh, practical ideas of what Jesus is saying in that moment. I mean, it, it could be kind of a symbolic statement where he's saying, listen, guys, you did so well that while you were out there doing your ministry, I mean, Satan was just getting punched in the face the whole time you were doing what I called you to do. I mean, it was, I mean, he's just taking blow after blow, and he is just going to fall from heaven like lightning. I mean, this is, this is amazing. You're doing such good work. I mean, that's, that's one possibility. Another possibility is, is Jesus could be speaking prophetically. He could be saying, listen, guys, I know you're out there. You're doing these things, and the demons were subject to you in my name, and, and I know how wonderful it is, but, but you've got to understand it's going to get even better because someday Satan will fall. Or it could have been Jesus telling them about something he had already seen in history past. Now, we don't have a specific um, chronological layout of the fall of Satan at the beginning of time, but it, you can piece together from both, and you can look it up later if you want, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, the picture of, of, of Lucifer, the, the most high angel, who in Isaiah 14 is like, I will ascend and I will set up my throne above God's throne, and, and my seat will be among the heights, and I will uh, have a throne that's above the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high God. Ezekiel 28 says, was God speaking to Lucifer, your heart became so proud that I expelled you in disgrace, and I threw you to the ground. So there is a possibility that in this moment, what Jesus is doing, and I like to think this, and again, you guys know me. You know that I have opinions that pop up because it's funny or dramatic, and I'm going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to shake his head lovingly, ruffle my glorified head of hair. That a boy, good try. But I love to think of Jesus sitting there reclining as they come back, like, you're not going to believe what happened. This is amazing. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw when Satan actually fell from heaven, so there's that. Now, now any of those options are a reason for great joy. I mean, wh whether it be while we're busy about doing his work, Satan's just being pushed back, or it be the reminder that someday soon Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, or... or or if it's simply the reminder that, that Satan's authority is just a feigned authority because he's been cast down from the Most High. All of those things are a reason for great joy. The fact that, that, that the victory is secure in Jesus and that evil will never triumph and the, the bad guy will always lose and the good guy will always win. 
The fact that, that Jesus has given you this strength. I mean, if you continue, he says, listen, in verse 18, I, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Is this where church gets weird? Well, we're not going to go there. Sorry. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. You hear that from, from the mouth of Jesus saying, go, nothing will do you great harm. Nothing will cast you down. Nothing will have victory over you because I promised you my power, my resurrection power, and it's going to be in you, and you will accomplish all that I've called you to do. And, and the guys had to have heard that and been like, yeah! Don't we fall for the same mistake that they do? And we allow our celebration to culminate on what we've been able to accomplish. Don't we get to that place in our lives where we're like, it worked! I rock! I'm unstoppable! Look what I've done. Look how far I've come. Look at my abilities. Oh, look at our church. We're growing. Increased opportunities. Okay, a couple of things that we need to work through, but hey, we have God on our side. Oh, my family. Everything's so good. We've got everything. I mean, our relationships and the family are, are perfect. My kids are mostly obedient. It's all according, going according to plan. My dating relationships. I mean, things are on the up and up. Things are, I mean, this is going well. My car, it started seven days in a row. My health, it's good. It's so good. My job, I mean, I, I got a raise, a promotion. Uh, business is booming. I've got job security. I mean, that, that is us. What we tend to do, and Jesus knows this, get distracted in those moments, and we celebrate the gifts of God instead of the giver of the gifts. And slowly, deceptively, we begin to believe that uh, those gifts are what bring us joy. We begin <laughs> to coin a phrase to believe that this is our best life now. problem is, is, is what that looks like, is it looks like a life that's free from struggle, free from pain. That is not the promise of God. And the problem is, is that if we begin to anchor our joy to those things, what happens when those things begin to fall away? What happens when in the blink of an eye, it all falls apart? Here, here's, here's how Jesus does. Let's, let's go back and, and I'll, I'll start again in verse, um, I guess I'll start in verse 18. I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However... Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
See, what, what Jesus says, don't, don't rejoice in what you can do. Don't rejoice in the fact that I've given you effective power to proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't fall for it. Don't let your joy be tied to what you're able to do because once that happens, the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. Once your joy is anchored to those things and the results aren't there, Satan's going to attack you. The moment things begin to fall apart, the enemy's going to ask you, oh, so do you really know God and is he really good? I mean, that, that's exactly what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5, that, that, that Satan is like a, a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. That, that moment that hard times, and, and sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes they're unspeakable hard times. The moment those crash down, the enemy's going to try to steal your joy. Don't find your joy in what you do. Find your joy in who knows you. That's, that's where it all comes down. Um, I, okay, so I'll do the illustration here. So when we, when we anchor our lives in what we do and we find our joy in what we do and we elevate that to such a level of importance, it's almost as if we are, are acting and living like when we, when we pass into eternity and we walk into God's presence, we're going to walk into the, the very presence of God and, and, and he's going to say, you know, oh, welcome, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy and you're going to stop him. Hold on. Wait one second. Before we go in, I have a request. Now, I don't think that God takes requests on the entrance of heaven. It's an illustration. Not found in the Bible, so I'll be clear, okay? I have a request. Okay, what's your request? All right, so listen. I have sacrificed a lot in my life, and I've served you like endless and countless hours. And so, so what I want before I cross and enter into your presence, before, before I get there, before I'm in eternity, what I want is I want to see the book that has all the, the things that, that I have done listed out Well, I'm sorry, um, that book's not here? No, 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 no. There's got to be that book here. It has to be here. I mean, I have sacrificed a lot. I mean, I, I, I teach a Sunday school class. I lead a Bible study. I let a community group meet in my house, and they are animals. I clean like crazy after they leave. I'm a greeter. I'm an usher. I work sound. I do the visual technology. I've, I've served in the band, the worship band. I've, I, I've taught classes. I've served as an elder. I've served as a, as a deacon. I, I get together and do the so-to-so ministry on Friday. I, I fold uh, bulletins on Friday afternoon. I, I've served you so hard and so much. I want to see the list of all the things I've done for you. Now, now God's response would be that those things put a smile on my face. But there's no book like that. There's only one book. And if you want, I'll read everything it has to say about you. Ready? Let's see. Like God has to turn a page. This illustration falls apart in so many levels. He finds his page. <laughs> here, here, I'll read it to you. Ready? Everything that it has to say about you. Frank Taylor. You want me to read it again? Because the only book that matters is this one that Jesus mentions right here. Your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. And it's not just written there. It is tattooed there. 
I mean, find your joy in the work that's been done for you, not the work that's been done by you. Stop and celebrate the grace that God continues to dump on you in Jesus Christ. And celebrate that grace in other people. This morning we have an unspeakable opportunity to to witness as, as young men, young women, and other young other men and women get in the tub and get baptized. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, my name is written in heaven. And I want you all to know that Jesus is mine. And I'm his. Be amazed that no matter how hard the enemy will try, he can never separate you from God. He can never pull you away from your true identity as a child of God. He can never pull you away from your birth certificate as it's penned in heaven that you are owned forever by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Be awed by the fact that he has known you, that he loves you, that he accepts you, and that one day you're going to see him face to face. May your joy forever be anchored in the fact that your name is tattooed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us, your mercy. We need mercy. Father, I thank you that that our standing with you is secure and firm, and it's not because we continue to live such perfect lives. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, I I pray right now, and I I did it in the middle of the message, but I'm going to say it again. Lord, I pray that the person who's sitting here who doesn't know Jesus would make the the decision in their heart of what they're going to do with Jesus. And I pray their decision would be to to agree with you about their sin, that their decision would be to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that their decision would be to cry out to Jesus to, to save them and rescue them from their eternal separation from you. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us we're sitting here who, who lean on Jesus every step of the way. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are overwhelmed by grace, overwhelmed by our standing before you because of what Jesus did for us. And Lord, may we be overwhelmed in a very vocal way. It's in Jesus' good and matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen. 